Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Win Cup and Dumbrell win Bathurst. No, hey, it was it was on there. Don't uh, don't don't underestimate the last twenty laps. You know, trying to balance everything. To be hundred percent honest, I actually driving up here thought I would come down to the last lap and I'd be behind a Team Vodafone car and I'd lunge him like Santa and Frost and I'd take him out and make myself look like a dickhead. Hundred percent, hundred percent thought that on the drive up here to. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jamie Winkup has held off the challenges to win his fourth Bathurst 1000 and Paul Dumbrell gets his first ever win at the mountain. We caught up with both drivers just a few hours after they took victory. It's normally a very, very hard race to win, easy race to lose and it was certainly the case today. Um, we, we dug deep and very grateful to get over the line. When you go into a last lap battle like you did this weekend and you know the guy behind you has on the same strategy but he doesn't have a championship to defend yeah does how does that not enter your mind um to be um well you know i knew dave would throw it all on the line um i knew he was he was running second in the greatest you know the, the biggest race of the year as well so i knew he wouldn't want to throw that away um but at the same time i knew he'd have a good go and he did that. Um, as I say, I was just, it was just management control for me. Um, wasn't sure whether it was going to be right, but um, just used all the knowledge I've, I've had over my, um, over my racing career, and it, um, it paid off. Oh, it's phenomenal. I still don't think it sunk in, really. I think it's going to take a couple of days uh, to even remotely think, uh, think I've actually won Bathurst with, with J-Dub. Uh, it was such a phenomenal job. We had a few things up against us. Oh, a lot of people had issues with the tyres today. We had our front driver's window blow out on lap three, and we had a cut tyre as well. So um, you know, Dado here just uh, you know, nurse, nursing home. You know, he was, was a uh, soothing voice on the end of the radio, just making sure we knew everything was okay and everything was going to plan. It's the first time you've been in this role for I don't know how many years. Yep. Is it more nerve-wracking having to watch your car in that position than it is to drive your car in that position? Oh, it's pretty tough. It, it probably wouldn't be as nervous over those last 40 or so laps if we weren't so tight on fuel. Like, you know, I saw the numbers and, and I was already resigned myself that we weren't going to make it. Um, you know, the number was... The job that they did was was incredible. Jamie was asked to save fuel, save tyres and keep keep off the curves and keep in front of Dave. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how he did it because, yeah, the numbers that they were telling to do, you know, he was rolling over the top and, and rolling off down the straight. So... Yeah, it was phenomenal, and uh, you know, it was just a, a, a surreal experience. Is this the way to hang up your hat, potentially? Oh, it's not a bad way, not a bad way. I'm not going to make any, any rash decisions just, just yet, so I'll uh, wait and see over the next couple of days and, and see how I feel and, and see, see what's right. David Reynolds and Dean Canto grabbed the first podium for both their careers. They talked about the final laps where the Bottolo car closed in on the leader. My car was very good the last two stints, but... You know, obviously not, not as good as Jamie's was. You credited Dean with the car setup for the race. Yeah. How, how, what differences have you seen in, in Dean's setup to yours? Oh, no, it's just the same. It's just, like, as soon as we got here, the car was good on full tanks. Um, but then as, as the fuel load come off and the front tyre grip went up, you know, we, we struggled for, for rear traction and... You know, the car was pretty loose across the top on light loads. 
but you know, in the race it was fantastic. It was a pleasure to drive. And obviously, you know, the, at the end there with the fuel strategy and everything, uh, James sort of probably put pay to, you know, Dave's chance to attack for a first. Um, Dave sort of hurt his tyres a bit to push past James and uh, you know, probably needed that for the end. But um, I'm happy with, with the way the team performed, with the way you know, Dave and I performed. Everything went well. Um, we had really good strategy. The safety car sort of put pay to that um, late on. There was a late safety car that probably hurt our advantage that we had in the pits. Um, and then Dave's second last stop, I think it was, uh, Holdsworth was queued out front of his garage and he couldn't actually get out of pit lane which should have put us out in front of Jamie, actually, in that stop because we had a shorter fill. But um, otherwise, for me, yeah, the whole weekend was great. Um, you know, it's been a long time with FPR, endurance-wise. Um, but, you know, comfortable in the team. The car was really great and, you know, looking forward to whatever comes of it. Craig Lowndes and Warren Luff finished third. Lowndes stormed through the field late in the race to grab the final spot on the podium. So we worked on the car during the day and uh, at the end we actually had... Good set of tyres, and uh, you know we made uh, a big change to the car in the roll centre, and uh, it actually and the track gripped up, and it actually came to us towards the end. So we struggled uh, most of the day. So it's uh, you know fair to say that we're pretty happy where we were. It's been a fantastic enduro campaign for me. Obviously, we won at Sandown and, and third here. Um, look, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit disappointed. Obviously, look, Craig and I were definitely uh, wanting to be on that top step this weekend, but look, we just didn't have the car speed for most of the day. But the team just kept working away every pit stop. We just kept chasing the balance of the the car and we just kept kept working our way heads down we know it's a long race and um and most importantly we got the car speed when it mattered most which is obviously at the end of the race and that 30 laps to watch craig take that car from ninth up to third that was just such a heroic effort by him and um yeah you, you i don't think anyone else could have done what he did in those last 30 laps so it was a privilege to be able to sit back and watch the watch the master at work and obviously to to partner him in these two races has been fantastic James Courtney and Cameron McConville looked like they had themselves up for the victory. Courtney explained what went wrong in the final laps. I uh, had a tyre fall apart. There's 15 laps to go, so it's um, you know it's a bit disappointing. We had great speed throughout the day. We we're just looking after the car the whole day. Um, the last two stints started to push on. Had a good good package and um, got past Davy and was uh, when I got behind Jamie, I heard it go down the straight. So it's a yeah, it's disappointing. From then on, I just had to back off and you know, and, and look after the tyre. So it's it's you know it's pretty lucky to do 15 laps with a tyre that was delaminated. Um, you know, it's a credit to the guys. We had a great fuel strategy, and um, I just had to drive the car straight in the end to to look after it and get it home. So it would have been nice. Um, I thought we were on for it then, and uh, it's just a shame that you know got so many tyre failures this weekend with with Dunlop. It's uh, really it's not. Um, championships above all this and it's it's um it's pretty bad for it to happen michael caruso and greg ritter also had a strong performance in the fujitsu racer robbo happy with the performance of the team yeah look we we were there all day um hunting around that podium area and uh the car was really good really comfortable to drive at the beginning of the day and unfortunately um <clears throat> towards the end i had i didn't have the brakes and um, my roll center broke, so uh, we couldn't tune to the track and obviously putting uh, green tires on towards the end of the race. So unfortunately for that, we, um, you know, the stint that actually counted, we, uh, we tend to struggle a little bit. Jonathan Webb and Scott McLaughlin drove to a very strong sixth place finish. Webb spoke about the weekend. We knew coming endurance time and for the rest of the season, it was our time to really sort of turn things around and try and gather up a few, oh, a whole heap of those points that we lost during the season. Yeah, Scotty's done a brilliant job at Sandown. Came away there with some good points and a top ten result. And then again today, you know, it's a it's a long day at the mountain. I'm really proud of my boys. They've done a sensational job to, to get the car done and get it here. And obviously pit stops and everything else that's gone on throughout the day, they've done a perfect job. And you know, Scotty's backed that up with a great drive as well. Of the heritage-inspired liveries, the Norton True Blue car was the one that received the greatest response when it was revealed on Sunday morning. Alex Davison was the first driver to take the car across the top of the mountain and he told the V8 insiders about the crowd reaction. I, I didn't think about it that much up until the car was rolled out this morning. You know, I'd forgotten about it because I've been that busy racing the Porsche and the V8 and running around like a chook with, your, with his head cut off. But um, when they, you know, everyone was crowding around, they had the garage door down this morning and we rolled it out for the warm-up. It was pretty exciting and I, you know, just drove around slowly on the outlap and you could hear the crowd cheering for it over the top of the mountain. So 
we knew it was going to be really special because the car, I think it's the best of the retro liveries because it looks so much like the original did. Probably big thanks to uh, Norton who relinquished a little bit of space to allow the True Blue livery to, to, to go on the car. So, um, you know, it was pretty exciting and I think the fans liked it. Davison was thrilled with a top 10 finish at the end of a hard day's racing. It was a pretty tough day because we kept having to double stack and that, you know, we double stacked three times um, in the first half of the race and it just kept, you know, we'd, I'd, it was when I was in the car, I'd fight my way up past five or six cars, double stack, go back, come up again, go back and double. So I think 10th was um, as, as good as we could do with, with that sort of, um, you know, with, with having to double stack. And unfortunately, that's just part of this type of racing. There's nothing you can do about it, but it's bloody frustrating. We caught up with Nick Perkhat, who talked about what happened to him across the top of the mountain, which took away the defending champion's chance for back-to-back victories. Came over a skyline, and uh, we're not sure if something might have happened with the rear of the car because it just went full sideways when I turned it in. So um, we'll do some investigation into that, but uh, yeah, not sure. For the second year in the row, Dick Johnson Racing saw one of their prepared cars in the Griffins Bend wall. Steve Owen explained what happened. Yeah, we just had a bad stop and um, took took me all the pit lane to get my belts untangled and do all that sort of stuff. And I was um, I had to stop pumping the brakes when I left the pits, which is a normal procedure. And got half up mountain straight before I got myself sorted. And just as I got over the hump, I thought I'd have plenty of time to get the brakes up, but uh, just didn't have enough time. So. We had a slight brake vibration earlier in the day, so whether that contributed, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, basically just got there and had no brakes, so ran out of time to pump them when I thought uh, I thought I had plenty of time. Will Davison, who was the pole sitter, had a day he will want to forget. You learn that this happens at Bathurst, but it shouldn't. We were well prepared. We had a fast car. Everything should have been pretty straightforward. But it's a cruel place. The last few years has been really cruel to me here, and I felt I've put in a really good performance. Uh, last two years been on the front row obviously a pole yesterday led both first stints eight nine seconds got out and then it's all gone pear-shaped from there so yeah that's Bathurst you you know a lot of things have to go right for you Um, so many different people involved in you know everyone has to do the perfect job and today we yeah we had some errors that happened and then obviously everything that could have gone wrong went wrong to be honest I mean just mind-blowing how how many things went wrong today, and then, uh, uh, and then obviously the frightening thing was the roll bar had been broken for 20, 30 laps. That was another thing that just broke on the car. So we, although we were already at the back after all the penalties and dramas, we'd lost all the balance in the car, and then that broke from fell away from the car and broke tore all the tore all the uh, brake lines off Dan Conrod, which I didn't know, and I went to go to the brakes and just went straight to the floor and. Yeah, it's probably the most frightening experience in my career, to be honest. It was just, yeah, no good at all. So that just summed up what is just, <laughs> just an unbelievable day. Like, you put so much into it and you do everything you can, you think you do a good job and you just, sometimes you wonder why these things happen, but it's motorsport. Larry Perkins gave the V8 Insiders his thoughts on this year's race. I think it was a fantastic race. The competition was superb. The contest, especially between uh, uh, the front car of Wincup and Paul Dumbrells and uh, uh, Reynolds and Cante, was superb. You know, for what more than 50 laps, they were both running absolutely on the limit, and I didn't see either either of them make a mistake. Uh, no, really great race to watch. Yeah. He also had an opinion on those who like to talk about the good old days. No, the people who talk about the good old days have mostly got serious Alzheimer's. And uh, the good old days, uh, you know, they weren't good at all. I've been there. These days are superb. Every year this industry goes on, gets better, and uh, I can vouch for that. Rod Nash joins us on the white flag lap following his team's best performance on the mountain. Here's a taste of what he had to say. The reason I really didn't want to lose PD at the time because he's hardly old, you know, and out of uh, or due for retirement. And of course, um, you know, Paul again, he's he's uh, been racing for a lot of years, and he had a great lot of experience. And certainly in in our car, I believe at FPR, that was where he's he's had his first couple of podiums, and and he, and his experience really come out well. So. 
I would have really liked to have kept him for a couple more years because, um, you know, he, he's sort of at that level of, well, is the equivalent of a Frosty and a Will and all that sort of experience. But, you know, for all the reasons we know, he, um, he had to give up the full-time gig and moved on. So for Dave, um, you know, when they approached, I, you know, there was some politics in it, so I just said to him, look, you know, I'm not really interested unless you've got clear title, but that all went through the motions. And um, But, you know... Um, it was fair to say in the industry that Dave was um, was looking like he was being well groomed, just and with his own experience that he could be a contender. And I think that's really panned out this year. He's you know been on the front row six times. Um, um, you know he's probably a little bit of element being deprived of the podium a couple of times, but I'm okay with that because I'm a big believer of crawl before you run. And of course today, well. You know, it's the right time to pick when you're going to climb on the podium, uh, the 50, 50th year of, uh, of Bathurst. And finally, Roland Dane has overseen a very successful period in V8 supercars history, and particularly on the mountain. Yeah, it's good. We've uh, been here 10 times as Triple Eight, and we won five of them. So uh, we won four of those in Vodafone colours. We weren't on the podium in. Uh, 2009 uh, but apart from that we have been 2005 onwards and that's the news for Nobrac carbon fiber products check out the entire range at www.nobrac.com.au we've got plenty more coming up after the break news on the v8 insiders is brought to you by the official v8x magazine facebook page sign up and keep in touch with v8 supercars Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it's the editor-at-large of Auto Action and, of course, you can read his motor racing reports across the age and sydney morning herald platforms it's a very good evening to mark fogarty yes good evening craig it's uh, i'm one size fits all really aren't i <laughs> well i know that uh, this man has got as many outlets as that if not more it's sbs speed weeks richard crail good evening crowley g'day craig good evening folks uh, big week in motorsport it wasn't wow. It was indeed. It doesn't even begin to cover it, does it? No, it was huge, you know. Bathurst was just mammoth. And then you had all the other stuff going on. Mm. Japanese Grand Prix. Um, Carnage in Talladega as the NASCAR Sprint Cup chase goes on. And um, small matter of uh, a Frenchman locking up his ninth, mm. yes, ninth World Rally Championship. Mm. He... It was a big weekend indeed. He is a freak, Sebastian Loeb, isn't he? And uh, I'm wondering, you asked a very pertinent question, Fogues, at the press conference. With Wing Cup winning a fourth Bathurst, is he now a legend of the sport? What's your thoughts? I would have thought it was self-evident. He has to be. That puts him right up there. You know, lots of drivers have one, crowd of them on two. Um Three wasn't so exclusive. Four, you're getting into rarefied air. Mm. I mean, he's um, now joined Alan Moffat and Greg Murphy as a four-time Bathurst 1000 winner. Um, now, at his still youthful age of only 29, can't even remember when I was 29, uh, he's got a lot more time to go if he chooses to um, start pegging back the others like Mark Scaife and Dick Johnson on five, Larry Perkins, <coughs> excuse me, on six, Craig Lowndes on six, and then we go up to Jim Richards on seven. We always forget, you know, Richo, he's up there with seven batters, 1,000 victories, and, of course, the king of the mountain, Peter Brock, on nine. So, Fords went on his way. Of course, he's a legend. Mm. 
Richard, I had uh, actually someone who doesn't follow motorsport, but they caught the end of the podium. And uh, she said to me that Wing Cup looked like a cardboard cutout on the podium as compared to Dumbrell, who was punching the air and and was really celebrating. And I guess that's one of the things that still haunts uh, Jamie Wing Cup, and particularly to a to a wider fan base is he is so professional and so focused that he expects these results and he, he perhaps doesn't get as exuberant as others do when they uh, celebrate their wins. True. Uh, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I'd also say that if you go back to 2006 when he and Craig Lowndes won, that was his first Bathurst victory, and you replay the podium from that year, you'll see a very exuberant, very excited Jamie Winkup about winning that event. So bear in mind, of course, that this was Winkup's fourth win, as we've just said, PD's first, and all the congratulations in the world to Paul for a very, very good drive across the course of the day. Um, he's got different reasons to be uh, a whole heap more excited, perhaps, about winning his first Bathurst. But I think Jamie's comments and, and a lot of the post-race stuff showed how seriously he took it, and we all know how much Jamie Winkup loves the championship, and on the spur of the moment, on the podium to Mark Beretta for seven, he said, don't worry about the championship, this is all about today. And, and that says a lot about how he thought. I, I don't think he's uh, celebrating any less than he would. I think um, it's just the fact that he's now been there four times, you know, it's what it's like. And there was such a difference between the way he and Paul Dumbrell celebrated it. Obviously, PD, uh, with the first win, had a, a lot to be very, very happy about. Mm. Yeah, there's a story here, though, Richard. Mm. I mean... He just didn't look excited to win his fourth Bathurst 1000. I mean, I remember watching him on the podium and I said to someone, look, you know, look at that, you know, looks like his you know, mm. favourite cat just died. You know, yeah. really, we, we could have expected, you know, a way more effusive celebration of his victory. And he was, he was downplaying everything across the whole weekend and even afterwards it was like trying to pull teeth in the post-race yeah. media conference to get him to, you know, actually open up about, you know, how excited he might have been, how proud he was, you know, was he a legend? Mm. You know, boy, you know, I was lobbing, you know, questions in there trying to get some reaction from him and they were just, you know, like misfiring grenades. They just weren't going off, not getting any reaction. And this goes yeah. back a few years where he used to celebrate um, really, you know, really hard and, and, and you know, sort of come off, well, he thinks he, he started coming off cocky and overconfident because he's getting a lot of flack from the, you know, the cellar dwellers on, you know, well, even before social media, but, you know, forums and things. Mm. Um, and, he, and you know, he's getting bad, bad fan reaction. I remember at the end of the, I mean, the 2009 season, we did a post-championship interview. And he was asking me, you know, about this, you know, why am I getting this bad reaction? Do you think I come off, you know, as overconfident and all that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So something's embedded in his head that, you know, he's got to downplay and be super professional and, you know, he, he's mm. missing out, you know. He's now becoming even more unfan-friendly. He's distancing himself um, simply because he just doesn't show the excitement yeah. that's obvious. You know, he lives for winning. Nobody out there, really, in the V8 Supercar Championship driver world lives more for winning than he does. I mean, he was so pissed off when he didn't win the, the top ten shootout. Yeah, that's how competitive yeah. he was because he dominated all through in practice. He felt he should have had it. Small miscue in the final corner, he missed out. You know, he was you know to use a vernacular, he was pissed. Mm. And it, it's interesting because we get to see a few different sides of Jamie Winkup. Um, however, the people talking to me and the, the one that particularly made that comment, who's not a race fan, um, she only saw that that grab, and I. I know that uh, I, I know all too well how much Jamie internalizes everything and every aspect of his racing, and how much he internalizes any sort of comments that may be considered criticism. And it is quite—it's—it's it's quite interesting. He—he's now with the fans, I think, become more relaxed, and in a one-on-one situation, he's—he's he's really developing some of those skills and I'm seeing some of those skills being transferred from Craig to him but uh, I, I was quite interested in the in that comment from a very 
neutral observer because I, I thought he had really been developing himself and rounding himself to not only the professional driver but becoming more fan-friendly. Yeah, but he's, in my book, he's always been great one-on-one. Hmm. I find him a fascinating interview subject. He, you know, he really thinks and gives himself and, you know, actually has something to say, which is particularly unusual for, you know, uh, I'm going back a few years now, even when he was young, you know, he's, he's a deep thinker and he does show himself on that one, in that one-on-one situation, but he needs to show more of Jamie Wincup, more of his character, more of his personality, you know, on the, you know, at the racetrack and on, on, um, on particularly on TV, because the reality, I'm afraid, is that he's just, he's not, he's not as popular as he should be. He's not as loved as he should be. He doesn't have as many fans as he should be. Um, you know, I, I think he's really cheating himself by just trying to be so ultra professional. And the thing is, he is, in my opinion, probably the best V8 supercar driver in the V8 supercar time. I, I put him up there with with Ambrose and Scaife, and I actually put him ahead of both of those because I think he is just at the antithesis. He's in the best team, and he is, you know, is just able to rise at just about every occasion. He's the class of the field at the moment, no doubt. Mm. Richard, yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll get any argument out of anybody about that, Craig. He's, um, yeah, I mean, he's. he's stats and everything he's done backs it up but just the complete way that he goes about winning races and, and his ability this year especially to um, to drag that car from possibly a not winning situation and put it in a place where all of a sudden car number one's out in front that's that's the real strength that he's got and, and it's just phenomenal so oh, yeah there's, there's no doubt that he's right at the very top look I, I agree with the comments folks about about Wink Up for sure I it's hard to explain, isn't it? And, and maybe it's a bit like the the, the turn off that a lot of fans had from Schumacher. I know he's always polarised people, but in Formula One, when somebody wins so much that the fans start getting a little bit restless and crying for change, and we've seen this dominant second half of the year from from Team Vodafone, from Triple Eight, and in particular Jamie, that um, that yeah, he is going to risk that that issue, you know, growing further if. Um, of polarising the fan base even more and having them turn off when, arguably, as Craig said, we should be going and, and celebrating everything that he's done and, and the way that he's um, reacting to it. But, yeah, it's an, an interesting thing that he's got to, uh, he's got to look at, I guess. Mm. Is this the time, Richard, for Paul Dumbrell to say, I'm going to hang up the helmet? Oh, why would you? I mean, if, if Triple Eight asks you to come back next year, uh, you've just won Bathurst, why would you say no? Mm. What about you, folks? Well, he'll take ages to decide whether he will or won't continue, that's for sure. After he, you know, mithered on last year, will I, won't I, the year before, will I, won't I. But the reality is, you know, stick with it, mate. It's not going to get any better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as he retires, he gets his biggest result. You know, he never looked like really winning Bathurst or, you know, much else apart from his one-round victory when he was a full-time driver. So um, whatever he's doing... If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. Well, ahead of the break... His stint, stint, Craig, in the middle of the race is really professional, really good. And and his start, too, on on full tanks. And, you know, dicing with Will Davison up to turn two, a lot of maturity, and and that's why Triple Eight picked him. He did a very, very good job. Mm. One thing... Funnily enough, Bathurst is the only place I'd ever trust him. (laughs) Yeah, his track record at Bathurst is actually really good. Yeah. And, you know, he's always been a strong performer and made, you know, fewer or, or no mistakes, you know, which is in stark contrast to the rest of his career. So, um, mm. you know, uh, Bathurst is actually a safe bet for Paul. In fact... But, no, he did, a, he did a really good job. Mm. He did an excellent job. He was fast. He was consistent. You know, he was, um, well, he's probably the perfect co-driver because he's still fast enough to be, you know, near Wind mm. Cup's pace, whereas if you look down, a lot of the other co-drivers... Uh, mm, not so fast. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's interesting because uh, this year's race, it was a point three of a second finish between first and second, and we didn't have a 10-lap-to-go safety car to compress everything. This was a, a 40 or 50. It was, a two, uh, it was one green flag fuel stop in the middle of it all, which was a, a genuine run. 
to the finish line. It was a, a genuine race. And uh, does that make it the best 1,000-kilometre race we've seen at Bathurst, folks? I see where you're coming from. Uh, it wasn't as, an exci- as exciting a finish as last year, which you'd go a long way to beat. Um, but, yes, you're right, that was compressed. This one, I mean, this one really came down to the last 12 laps. That was, you know, the race, the battle for the race. But it was building and it was developing, you know, much further back, probably back to about, uh, I think from memory, about lap 139. But it really took fire with 12 laps to go. So um, I see your argument. I still think last year was better, just, the, you know, the sheer, you know, riveting drama of those <coughs> closing stages with, you know, Craig. He was much closer and hounding Garth Tander, you know, a lot more mercilessly than even Reynolds was hounding Wind Cup. And he had a you know a couple of big goes. Even to I remember last year, Craig was you know having a look at trying to get past Tander, a big go at one stage um, down through the chase. But you know this is right up there. I, I don't know over the balance of forty nine years, um, fifty two races. Of the greats, is it the greatest or the best race? Not in my book, but you know it's one of the biggies and. Um, How's the races luck, you know, two years in a row having, you know, an absolutely exciting finish? And, uh, you know, 0.31 of a second was the gap this year. You know, 0.29 last year, which is the closest ever competitive finish. So you really can't ask for anything more, can you? And there was plenty of interest throughout the race as well. You know, it, it built and it developed, you know, as, as a Bathurst 1000 does. I, you know, I, I thought it was um, enthralling. Mm. Richard, your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, agreed. I, I like the the fact that that this great battle between five and, and ultimately six cars developed in that last sort of thirty five laps, last round of pit stops. You had you had so many storylines to follow in that last bit. You know the the would be factor for Reynolds, the, the charge from Courtney. You know had an extra lap of fuel. You know was running full rich a little bit earlier on and was able to put the pressure on. But I'm not sure anyone really expected that Courtney would ever go much further than second place. Um, but but that was fascinating to see him charge through and then drop back. There was the ever-present Fujitsu car, which I don't think has been talked enough of after the weekend of the job that, that Robbo Caruso and Greg Ritter did all day. They were top three for probably 70% of the race, I'd guess, top five at least, and, and they did a great job. And then that fantastic story of Craig Lowndes charging through, as he always does, and the, the closing stages of Bathurst and another podium for, for he and a great result for Warren Luff. And, and then the would-be factor of will Will Reynolds either pass Jamie Wink up or hip and shoulder him out the way, or will they both crash and lounge win? Or I think that was it. I do agree with Mark that the tension around the circuit last year was probably more than this year because of you know Craig was coming. Reynolds was locked to the bumper of Wink Cup's car for 15 laps towards the end, but last year with with Lounds just chipping away lap after lap, there was probably more tension and and arguably a more exciting finish, but. Oh, look, I'm just pleased for the organisers and pleased for Bathurst and everything around it that it lived up to the hype that was placed on it. Whether you agree with the 50-year thing or not, um, it lived up to expectation, I think, and I don't think too many people would have gone home disappointed after that race. Mm. Well, we need to take a break. Although, oddly, despite a record four-day crowd, the race day crowd was nowhere near a record. Mm. 57 thousand, they claimed. Very weird. Well, we do need to take a break. We'll talk more about that on the other side here on the V8 Insiders. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Mark Fogey and Richard Crowell joining me, Craig Ravel. And guys, uh, well, it was... uh, it was an amazing crowd this year, and uh, as you pointed out before the break, folks, whilst race day wasn't as big, Thursday, Friday, everyone's going, this is like a Saturday, this crowd is huge. And then on Sunday, uh, on Saturday, you're going, man, this almost feels like a race day crowd. 
there was just a, a buzz, which um, I it reminded me of, of, of course, uh, 96, the Brock year, or the Brock testimonial year, or I don't know what you're supposed to classify that as these days. But, uh, what, the 97, his first uh, 97. retirement, yeah. Many. Many. Sorry, I meant 2006. Oh, uh, that was the oh, tribute. Yeah. yeah, the tribute. Yeah, yes. um, it had that. It had that big, big feel, yeah. and I, I normally measure by the um, by the fact that uh, there's Alan Moore Park in Bathurst, and that year Alan Moore Park was completely full of camping. This year it didn't have any camping in it, so I was thinking it's probably not going to make the the biggest. But then it came out four days. It was so. It, well, the- the four-day figure was was interesting in that at most of our events that we go to, you'll see a, the, the crowd build quite exponentially over the course of a weekend. And a Thursday at Kutzel's generally 50,000, whereas Sunday's 85, 90. Um, what was very interesting, that there was only, uh, I think it was 12,000 growth from Thursday through Sunday. So what that shows to me... Uh, is that a lot of people were there for the four days. So a good chunk of that crowd were either camping or staying in hotels or staying in the region for the four days. And there weren't actually that many walk-ups just there for one or two days worth of racing. I, I think that's probably great for the event, and it's certainly what the, the Bathurst region want to see because it means their town's chockers for longer. But oh, look, it was a great vibe, and, and the locals I spoke to up there on local radio and the local newspaper were all just really enthusiastic about how many people were, were in the region and the benefits that it would, would bring. So, But ultimately, I think the feeling and the atmosphere around the place was as good as I've seen it, and I've only been going for um, a few years in comparison to others on the uh, on the show. So, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, I loved it. <laughs> well, Mark, I, my first race, my first 1,000 was 2007. I'd suggest you've probably gone a little bit longer than I. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 1975, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah, you, you know, Okay, fair call. Hardcore, but fair call. Yes. Yeah, no, the, the, you're right. The place was heaving, you know. Atmosphere was great. You know, there was a real real buzz throughout the four days, and um, particularly, you know, from Wednesday, it was it was, um, it was building, um, unlike any other time just about that I've ever seen. Um, but it possibly just goes to show that you can fool most of the people some of the time. You know, people bought into the 50 years. Mm. Yes. Even though it is, you know, highly debatable at best and um, just downright inaccurate <laughs> at worst in, in my book. But well, it depends where they the... bought into the 50 years, you know, which, as I've said to many people and probably to you guys, you know, the best really accurately you could say it is it is the fifth, it was the, it is, is, was the 50th year of touring car endurance racing at Mount Panorama. End yeah. of. That, and that is correct because uh, you can't even say the 50th year of 1,000-kilometre events at no. Bathurst because uh, that's 600. running and, either. Yeah. So no. Anyway, we've got the 50th anniversary next year. Uh, oops, no, we've done that. Bad no, way. it's going to be the – next year's going to be the 75th anniversary of <laughs> motorsport in Bathurst. Of I Mount think. Panorama. Is it Mount Panorama yeah. or motorsport in Bathurst? Yeah. Yeah, Mount Panorama. Well, so it can't – well, and, yeah, not quite the same thing, but I think no. it's into Mount Panorama. Yeah, there was a – a circuit before Man Panorama, you're quite right, Craig. Now, can't beat you on the trivia, can I? Oh, well. <laughs> Tyres. Paul Morris said something interesting to me that uh, I'm going to relate because ah, Paul, be Paul isn't always known as being a considered thinker when it comes to speaking to the media. But I, no. I was talking to him about tyre problems and he said his thoughts were the rain overnight washed the track clean and that's why we're seeing so many tyre failures early. The theory breaks down because Courtney had his tyre problems with the last set of tyres, um, but it was interesting that most of those problems were early on in the race, and let's face it, you don't do a wheel alignment halfway through. You're not changing camber setups, which is what teams are normally blamed for causing major tyre problems, particularly at Bathurst. Folks? Oh, I think that had a part to play. The, the problem was was building through practice and qualifying. It had been flagged by a few drivers. Um, you know, several drivers, several combinations had problems. Um, and Dunlop were, were quite clear that, you know, that they, they issued guidelines on tyre pressures and camber angles. 
their guidelines only. They can't force the teams to comply with them, but you know they they guarantee the safety or the you know the durability of the tyres to a certain point. After that, you're on your own. And many teams clearly uh, were mucking about. Um, were you know running their tyres very aggressively because they're chasing every advantage. And if it, if it wasn't that only, it was also a combination of um, there have been a couple of changes to the curbing, um, particularly turn two, I believe, and, the, you know, if you drop your wheels out over them and, you know, the inside of the left-hand tyres were, you know, getting cut up by um, constantly running on the inside of the curb, particularly on the first lap on, you know, on a new set of tyres. Um, so... Um, and add to that, I guess, just progress. You know, the cars, although not quicker overall because of the restraints of the rules, you know, I think in, in, in parts they're putting more stress on the tyre. Um, you know, at a track which traditionally, you know, isn't really a... It's certainly not tyre-sensitive and, and tyres aren't a problem, but we occasionally see this rearing its ugly head and presumably next year it will change because we've got a much better wheel tyre package going to an 18-inch diameter rim with a lower profile tyre so you know more modern and more sophisticated construction so that's my take on the tyres I think people were pushing the boundaries um, but it, you know not complaining because it um, threw a lot of curveballs and wild cars and all sorts of other cliches into the mix and, and affected uh, many performances but in the end you have to say that Jamie Wincup particularly coped better with most because after his early tyre problems um, they just disappeared and it was the way he was driving and, and managing it. Mm. Richard, who was your stars and failures of the event? Um, good question. Well, overlooking the performances uh, at the, the very, very front of the field, I, I think a starring performance for me, not just at this race, but at Sandown as well, to, to Scott McLaughlin and, and Jonathan Webb, Techno, great performance at Sandown. They had a good run. Scott McLaughlin's been super impressive, hasn't he? I think, um, you know, really young kid, still a teenager, a couple of years in development series and put into a, a main game drive in a very competitive car and he delivered. Um, fantastic result at the weekend. Did everything he was asked of, was quick, was consistent, gave the car back to Webby in a position where it could finish strongly and he delivered. Uh, so really great performance and, and he's got a big future ahead as I think we all know uh, Failure, well it probably groups into two teams that, that really didn't show up uh, and I don't think we even probably expected them to, Kelly Racing were there and thereabouts with the 15 car for some of the day on strategy but disappeared at the end and for Dick Johnson Racing to have their best car in 10th position, uh, yeah, move on very, very quickly, I think, from uh, from the mountain to them. So, yeah, very disappointing day. Uh, and I'll just throw in car number two and their dramas early, obviously, with uh, with Nick Perkett hitting the wall. Mm. Okay, folks. How long you got? <laughs> lots of heroes, lots of villains, mm. stars. Yep. Win Cup. Yep. Overall, got to be, but particularly fuel management near the end knew exactly when to push when not to push they're all in back in the pits you know nobody knows is the car going to make it is it going to cough and splutter they weren't sure even the team you know he wrung the last bit of fuel economy if you like out of that car and mixed it with pace i thought that was an extraordinary effort particularly with you know reynolds right on his clacker reynolds managed tires and fuel um, extraordinarily well. I mean, he would have won. I, I maintain, by the way, that Reynolds would have won that race if he hadn't got bottled up behind James Courtney. I reckon that was key. Yeah. He lost momentum then, um, had to fight his way back, get past Courtney. You know, great effort by Courtney and McConville to get that thing up there, um, but they're always going to fade away. You know, he had to, James had to burn his tyres, you know, to get up there. Um, and he was just bottling up Reynolds. It could have been very different had that not been the case. Um, Lowndes, extraordinary performance, you know, basically was, you know, tyre problems, early stops, was nowhere. Suddenly, you know, over the last, you know, I don't know, 30 odd, 25 laps, here he comes, you know. Mm. Half a second a lap, he was closing. Over again and, um, mm. you know, he got it up in the podium for what is it? I don't know. 
the umpteenth time in the last seven years, eighth time, no, not that can't be eight, but you know, <laughs> eight out of eleven or something ridiculous. Mm. In yeah, fact, and team eleven from nineteen as well. Team, yeah, well, was, so you know, team Vodafone yeah, has only from, been off the podium once in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, well, you know, you, you wouldn't bet against him, would you? Um, almost a hero, Greg Murphy. You know, on the Saturday, I had a long chat with him, and he was just despairing. You know, he he said his car was the scariest car he'd ever driven at the track. He was just couldn't believe that he would even be, you know. Well, he ended up 13th. He was as high as, what, 7th at one stage. I thought it was going to be another Murph miracle. So yeah. he obviously um, kicked himself into gear and, you know, could have been. Um, fails. Well, here we go. Uh, SBR, Gildan and Van Gisbergen fail. I suspect the Stone Brothers did the usual trick of trying to run an economy race and hoping to be at the, there at the end. Didn't work. Uh, FPR, okay, time's up. Questions must be asked. Heads must roll. An absolute debacle for the main cars. Mm. Every problem you can imagine, they came across and just disorganisation. Wrong drivers, you know, pointing fingers at one particular co-driver just wasn't really up to it. Um, you know, whereas they're, they're so, you know, their satellite team, they'll claim the win or the, the second place. But, you know, <coughs> Reynolds and Canto and the Rod Nash racing team went off in a different direction under the... You know, under the guidance of James Small, and they got it right. You know, whereas FPR once again got it so wrong. How long can this continue? One of the critical things, and uh, I'm not sure if it's in this week's white flag lap with Rod Nash or whether I'm going to carry it over till next week, but uh, it is interesting because Sandown, you can safely say that the combined pit pit crew uh, ruined the race for Canto and Reynolds. This time, if you looked at their pit stop times, they were consistently quicker than everyone else they were pitting around them. And uh, that has to be a, a credit to that combined group because... Uh, well, somebody obviously put a rocket up them because, um, you know, they had Sandown, you're right, you know, one half of that shared pit boom cost them a good result and it's happened before at other events. So um, just to not come off all bitter and twisted kudos to the kids Cameron Waters and Jesse Dixon in the um, yep. Shannon's car um, you know they got home in 20th they got home that's a good result yeah three laps down and, you know and ha- solid. hardly the best car in the world it's probably the oldest car mm. out there so you know I thought for them that was a that was a big result mm. so I'm keen for your opinion on Christian Klein and how he performed uh, Tidy, mm. didn't do anything bad, you know, for a visiting international with very limited experience. Um, now that you mention it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was so good that he didn't even hardly, you know, attract any attention. You know, yeah. um, Rusty, Russell Ingall was looking good for a little while there. Um, and in the overall context, I guess, you know, ninth wasn't too bad. Probably could have, could have and should have been better, but... A lot better than um, <coughs> the number two car, the defending champions, Garth Tander and Nick Perkett. Um, Perkett, shall I say, was disappointing. Mm. He also he also stunned everyone who uh, bothered to go to the Dunlop Series press conference as well, as we uh, as we noted in the night before the one thousand on Saturday night. Guys, pleasure to catch yeah, up. Yeah, that's with the you. one. Dunlop Series press conference, the only one ever that I wish I'd been at, because apparently there was some um, big verbal going on between her cat and uh, Chaz Mostert. Damn, I missed that. <laughs> well, you can just listen to the night before the 1000 and you'll hear it all there. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. It was a great weekend and uh, we look forward to seeing you up there at the Gold Coast, folks. I'll be there with bells on. Mm, the second Lottery, the, sorry, the third lottery of the championship, I call it, Richard, because in the third lottery of the season, your drivers have got absolutely no experience. Yeah, makes it interesting, doesn't it? But uh, it was a good event last year. It should be again this season. Really looking forward to it. Mm, well, the white flag... If you love sports car drivers you've never heard of, well, the Gold Coast yeah. 600 is going to be your, uh, <laughs> your place to be. The White Flag Laugh is up next. It's Rod Nash talking about his second place, or his team's second place. Thanks for joining us both, folks, and Richard Crowell.
Good night, all. Thanks, guys. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, we catch up with Rod Nash, whose car, the Bottle O Falcon, drove to second place in the great race. And I asked him, with his car in second place and Paul Dumbrell in the car that was leading, did he have mixed emotions? Because those two have been great mates and have had a special relationship for such a long time. Yeah, well, funny you say that because, uh, you know, uh, obviously throughout the day, you know, the... Um, but our car was nice and strong and we we're, were uh, seen to be in contention the whole way. Obviously the race ran its course and so uh, getting to the, uh, um, the later part of the day, um, you know, we, we were obviously right up there and swapped around a little bit but got back up there and, uh, and right, up, uh, right in contention. But, you know, uh, I couldn't help not, you know, um, uh, 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 passions and commitments and friendships and all that, and I've had so much to do with the Dumbrells that, like, um, I have to be totally honest and think that um, my stup- my silly mind was uh, running things by me that I really didn't want our car, to a certain degree, to go around uh, Jamie's car because um, I was uh, sort of feeling for you know wanting to PD to. I know he's uh, had a long career and. And he really wanted to win this Bathurst, and and that was one of the silly things that I was thinking at the time. But you know, it's uh, um, we everyone raced to the end, and um, that was good. But I also thought it was funny. He was obviously sitting back in the pits, watching uh, it all unfold. And uh, when the in car was on in in our car, uh, he's um, uh, the, the company he runs was being advertised all over national TV. So he's he's obviously. Uh, Probably not thinking about it, but seeing it, auto bones being advertised. But that was the car that was trying to pip pip those guys off. So I, I thought it was quite funny. Actually, I seemed to have a lot alliances on both sides. But you know, I, I was really happy with the end result. Um, you know, for Dave himself, he's been sort of creeping up there all year, and uh, he's got lots of years in him. So uh, everyone wants to win Bathurst, but geez, uh, I'm pretty stoked at finishing second, and especially under those conditions. You know. Very, very close uh, uh, Holden Ford start, and it was a Holden Ford finish, so really good for the TV. As the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.